from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 topics of the week that make us go I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by our Chief Creative Officer, Tom Campbell, and James St. James, editor of The Wow Report. Um, How do you do? I do very well, thank you. Uh, We have a jam-packed show this week with not one guest, but two guests, and we'll be chatting later with a RuPaul's Drag Race winner that Tom Campbell has called the Professor of Drag, so stick around for that. But first, at number 10, please welcome Dr. Eric Savini. Number 10. Author of The Deviant's War. And uh, also a fantastic book. The subtitle is The Homosexuals versus the United States of America. A battle that seems to be continuing to this very day. Um, it's a fantastic book. But also, Dr. Eric, you are the creator of the Rainbow Book Bus which is going to be traveling around the country, bringing banned queer and trans books to small-town America. Welcome, Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of y'all, everything you do. It's an honor to be here. I think the honor is all ours. I really want to hear the uh, how you came up with the idea for the, the book bus and uh, where it's going to go. I want all the details. I think it's just fantastic. Well, thank you. I mean, the the inspiration in in my life, uh, my North Star has always been Miss Frizzle from from the Magic School Bus. Uh, you know, growing up, you know, I was a nerd. I didn't have that many friends, let alone a gay nerd in in Texas. So, you know, the one way that I could really, you know, get excited uh, on watching TV, especially without without cable at the time, was by watching, you know, uh, PBS, learning from from Miss Frizzle herself, and I think. The idea of making learning, you know, fun, you know, as a historian, as an academic, I think so many people just assume that that our history is so boring, that literature is boring, let alone LGBT literature, uh, which is just so hard to come by. So to make it both accessible and fun and whimsical is is just something that I couldn't pass up. And so one night I had the crazy idea um, of, of making this bookmobile and taking it around the country and, and dropping off lgbt books all over the place and now it's it's about to happen is it mostly it, it it is exclusively lgbt books or is it banned books in general or with a with most with a lgbtq bent tell tell us about the, the how you choose the books to be to be distributed right well before the bus existed there was uh, uh i decided to open up a lgbt bookshop with my partner adam and so the name of that is shopqueer.co and then you know as this political mess, this nightmare that we're in just became worse and worse and more of these books were being banned. You know, it's, it's easy to be in our bubble in LA, you know, selling, selling gay books and, and we would have done perfectly fine. But I think we, we felt like we needed some way to get books in the hands of folks, especially in underserved areas. So we partnered with a great nonprofit called Way Out. They have this wonderful network of LGBT centers and underserved areas. So we're going to be stopping by some of those uh, LGBT centers across the South uh, and other parts of the country that could really use these books. Because, you know, uh, a lot of kids just they don't have access. So it's a matter of just getting it into their hands. We'll put your itinerary up on the Wow Report. But when do you set off and where's sort of map out the journey a bit? 
Well, we're still finalizing it. Where the bus itself is going to be done, we need about one more week. It's debuting at LA Pride on June 11th, uh, and it'll be you know rolling down Hollywood Boulevard, and then it's a matter of of finalizing that itinerary. So it's looking like uh, probably the earliest will be is August, and hopefully by the by the end of the year we'll have uh, we'll be on the road and uh, starting in LA and probably ending in uh, in Florida because where else but the epicenter of uh, because everything ends in Florida. Everything <laughs> ends in Florida. Are yeah. you a little apprehensive about going? You know, of course, my my mother is extremely apprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as she's always asking about uh, security, and you know, fortunately, I think we'll be able to partner with with some of these LGBT centers that are dealing with these threats every single day. You know, these folks, these activists, and and community. Uh, workers are, are really fighting the good fight and, and they're doing so in conditions that are just terrifying. You know, anyone who's, who's hosted a, a, a drag t- a story hour knows how, how terrifying it can be right now. And some folks are dealing with it every day. So I think we're going to rely on them and their expertise to, to make us stay uh, comfortable. Brave. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you. I have a storage unit full of freak show copies. If you, I will donate <laughs> them all to you that I can't get rid of to save my life. So they're all yours if you want them. I've got one I want to see on the bus. Gee. Oh, 100%. It'll be Why nothing do you think but. you're on this show? It'll be nothing but screen aid by Fenton Bailey. <laughs> also, will you have, will you be, will you have the big reveal by um, Absolutely. Treasure Valor? Yeah. It's been it's been uh selling like hotcakes so uh i don't know if, if sasha will be on maybe at some point but uh she's uh absolutely wonderful and tell her her book is selling it's on fire so, well tell us about your book i want to i want to know about yours absolutely so i'm a, I'm a historian by training i got my phd in, in history actually in cambridge not too far from uh you went to our rival didn't you Fenton? i went to oxford yeah yes 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 so we must hate each other but we do um, <laughs> we uh that's where i was studying uh history and, and wrote my dissertation on the pre-stonewall gay rights movement so the homophile movement is what it was called at the time uh so looking at how you know, queers began marching, how we started, you know, looking around, looking at the Black Freedom Movement and decided to, to actually start taking to the streets. And this was, you know, in the early 60s. This was before Stonewall. And then, of course, the movement exploded after that. Do you see parallels between then and, and now? Like, is this a rhyming moment or a repeat moment? Oh, 100%. I mean, it, the one thing you learn, any historian learns, is that it's it's cyclical, right? There's nothing novel, really, in, in, in human history. And so what we're experiencing, which is the scapegoating of queer folks, has been happening since the first Inquisition for a thousand years, you know, like clockwork. Uh, you know, those in power, when they feel like their their control over the populace is 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 waning a bit they start to uh uh to take it out on people to find a scapegoat and that happens whether it was lavender scare during the mccarthy era during the aids crisis i mean to bryant before that and now it's happening again good luck and <laughs> stay safe i mean you know i mean and and come back and let's like we want updates we'd like yeah, it'd be great to get updates on the road from yeah let's let's do that let's let's when you get to florida let's let's get a, a summary of your trip and, and call in for us please absolutely need, venmo you or something if you need something we want you to be safe we want you to eat we want you to be safe 
Well, most likely what will happen is you'll get a call from a, from a jail uh, <laughs> and we'll be asking for some bail money. Uh, I, I call Fenton every other week getting me out of jail. Fenton, yeah. I need help. Yeah, so that's that just, you know, any blocked numbers from an uh, incarceration <laughs> complex, make sure you answer. Well, well thank you, me. Eric, and good luck. I love calling you Dr. Eric because... Oh, God. I <laughs> um, thought you were wearing a Barbie shirt. What does your shirt say? It says it is actually one of the, the, the first mottos from, uh, from the gay rights movement, founded in 68 uh, by Frank Kameny, gay is good. Gay is good. I love mm. it. We'll post all the links to your incredible uh, literary empire, really, because there's a lot of different pieces to it <laughs> on, on the WOW Report. And thank you and good luck. Well, thank you so much, y'all. All right. Thank you. Great to meet you. Moving on to number nine. Number nine. Number nine is my uh, conspiracy theory of the week. Um, I, yeah. I went to see this last night, so I'm interested to see what you have to say. Well, we're going to be talking about The Little Mermaid because there is a, a, a controversy. A controversy? How do you say it, Fenton? What is the English way to... Controversy. controversy. Or no. controversy. Controversy. There, there seems to be a bit of controversy about Melissa McCarthy's um, Ursula, where the, the role is famously based on Divine, the drag queen legend Divine. And this version, they have sort of... Re- de-dragified Ursula a little bit. And the LGBTQ community is up in arms saying she looks like a first, you know, three-month drag queen. Like, why couldn't we get Raven to do the makeup? It's so, she looks hideous. It's horrible. And it got to such a fever pitch that the makeup artist, who is straight, had to put out a, a press release saying, why can't a straight person do makeup? Why why, why are you coming down on me for this look? Well, my secret conspiracy theory is, is that Disney did not want a drag look on purpose. Okay, because drag is, you know, being demonized. And that they wanted, they were already having a, a controversy by having a black mermaid, which, you know, the people are up in arms about. So why go further and, um, you know, be seen to be courting the drag and gay community? Why not just have a straight person do it as a cartoon as opposed to what drag looks are now? What do you think? I don't you know. Don't think that, you don't think that Disney is 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 has meetings about these things all the time. This has been in the works for months, right? Yes. Or years, years and years. It was shooting but, before COVID. Yes, yes, exactly. But the drag, but the drag backlash has been coming for a long time, mm. and the and and hiring. Don't you you don't think that they're trying to make it as straight as possible? No. You don't think so. Disney is so full of wonderful, creative gay people. And Melissa McCarthy is such an ally and, uh, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying uh, Melissa McCarthy has anything to do with it. I'm just saying that the, the hiring of a straight person to do a straight person's idea, not a drag ideal was thought out and planned in a board meeting somewhere. I just don't buy it because I'm, I'm with Tom on this. I, I don't buy it because 
I mean, it's almost the first time that, you know, over time, we've had this evolution of the idea that only certain people can tell stories and only certain people can represent things. But then why would this is a new level, the idea that a straight person should not be allowed to do the makeup. No, 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 but that's the opposite. Why would you yeah. not have a drag artist do it? Why would you not, in this time when people were saying, let gay people play gay roles, why would you not have, hire an LGBTQ person to do makeup when they are clearly the better choice? But why, why would you go to person- the... I don't think the straight person was incapable necessarily of doing well, drag. He was incapable. He did a horrible job. He did. There choices, there, but there was choices made. It's there, not that's like, what I'm saying. There were choices and, made at every point. That's and what, what you're looking at, James, that was a little test video. That isn't the final look. So no, it's but it like, is it, the final look. Blake saw it. The look is terrible. It is horrible. It is horrible. And I was wondering, it doesn't matter. Every gay person who has seen it has said that this is a travesty, that they made bad choices along the way. So it was a choice to not give it to a raven or a someone like that who could do a drag job. Or to maybe reinvent the character versus copy the character. Well, but that's what I'm saying. They're reinventing it away from the drag roots. They've taken it away from its drag roots of divine. Right. And they've given, they've made it a straight look. What a straight person's idea of a villain is. It's not oh. Melissa is a fabulous, fabulous person. She's an ally. She's a great actress. She's a huge comedian. She can mm. sing her ass off. She's wonderful. But the makeup artist did her dirty on this. I think that's your opinion, but I, I'm, I'm sorry. I still no, think it's I, not my opinion. Just go on social media. Okay. Well, I, I have a, a, let me rephrase it. I have a slightly different opinion. Like, I think all sorts of people should be allowed to tell all sorts of stories and work in all sorts of ways. I've always felt that. And but the, do you the, think that the, the worst possible person should be given the job? I don't believe he is the worst possible Have you person. seen it? He's a very experienced makeup artist. I he's a very experienced prosthetic party. artist is what he I, is. He's not a makeup artist, per se. Right, he right. does more prosthetics and he does more, you know... Uh, characters as opposed yeah. to beauty. I have yet to see the movie. I plan to see it this weekend. I hear Melissa McCarthy steals the movie that she's the best thing in it. Well, I believe that. Right. Her well, makeup I what, everyone should go see the movie and then we'll regroup and do this again. So on we- Twitter. Let's do it on Twitter though. <laughs> oh, yes. Hey, yes, because we know that's a, a forum for reasonable debate and for a sharing of different viewpoints. <laughs> the Little Mermaid is in theaters now. Number eight, Tom. Number eight. I uh, was looking forward to seeing this. Lena Waithe has executive produced a documentary called Being Mary Tyler Moore. Here are my two big takeaways. First takeaway is, God, I'm old. Because I know every single beat of the story. It's great that it's being told. Mary Tyler Moore was one of my favorites. Growing up, Saturday Night Television was like my introduction to adulthood. From all in the family, we've talked about this before, to the Jeffersons, to the Mary Tyler Moore show, to the Bob Newhart show. Sophisticated, smart ideas that I was so young, I didn't even know I was being treated to such, you know, golden age of television. Followed at 10 o'clock by the Carol Burnett show, where I basically learned my sense of humor, where I learned how to do a sketch, where I learned how to produce RuPaul's Drag Race, for God's sake. So, and Mary Tyler Moore is exceptionally pivotal. Um, and I knew every beat of it. And and I think, James, you saw, I want to know. The other thing is, is that the one person they can really thank for this documentary is Miss Rona Barrett. 
Oh, the, yes. The spine of this, you know, it's it's all pictures of Mary and, and footage. We don't see people actually being interviewed because they're mostly dead. They're using video. But um, there is an interview uh, probably in the early 80s when Mary was in New York doing Whose Life Is It Anyway? Um, uh, where Rona Barrett, who was this like big gossip columnist at the time, has kind of faded away. I think she's still with us. But Rona Barrett asked the most probing, interesting questions. It gets the most, I think, thoughtful answers from Mary. And, and it's throughout the documentary. Um, it's interesting because I think that Rona Barrett has been sidelined throughout history. And I think even at the time, people thought she was a bit of fluff and didn't really take her seriously. But you see what a great interviewer yes. she is here. Mm-hmm. And that maybe we need to reconsider where we put Rona in our pantheon of interviewers. Rona Barrett, being Rona Barrett is the next documentary exactly. we need to do. I was I was interested in how sad her life was. And so much of what we think of Mary is just being this little, you know, ray of sunshine. It, it's not who she was. And there was, she had so much suffering and so much pain in her last 20 years were not happy. You know, the last 30 years probably were not happy at all for her. And that made me sad. Well, with the exception that she found love, that she had a yeah. husband and that, you know, but it is, there's, it always has been a disconnect. And the older she got, the more distant I've read. This was not included in the documentary, I believe, but I've read since that Mary Tyler Moore was blind the last yeah. few years of her life. And she kept it a guarded secret. And there is a, a moment when Betty uh, White was doing hot in Cleveland and they had a, uh, a reunion of Georgia Engel, Mary Tyler Moore, and uh, Valerie Harper. And they did, you know, it's just an amazing scene. And they all meet, and Mary is seated at the dinner table already and plays a scene. And I do believe it was included in the documentary. She might have been blind she was, then. She was blind then, and she was doing her, you know, best to do it. It's weird. I always think of like, Stevie Wonder was so prolific in the 60s and 70s. He still makes music, but like his his music was so hot. It was so of the age. It was so it was so timeless and incomprehensibly good. And from the Dick Van Dyke show where she started to the Mary Tyler Moore show, which is one of the most sophisticated, warm character studies uh, ever put on television. And I swear to God, if you watch it today, young people, and it's on Hulu, you will, there's no way you can't be caught up in it. But like, you know, time passed her by. She had other accomplishments than personal victories. But but no, 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 no. I think you're burying one of the leads there because you go from Dick Van Dyke to Mary Tyler Moore, and then you go to ordinary people. And it is a whole new Mary for a whole new decade. And it is shocking the different, like the, I remember walking out of the theater, just thinking, is that, real the real mary tyler moore have we seen another i mean we we she completely reinvents herself in that and yeah. it's 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 one of the great roles of all time yes. that just she didn't become a movie star but you know and she had a lot of uh attempts to get back on television they skip over that were unsuccessful yeah. so but you know but i love mary tyler moore and i recommend if you don't know much about her watching being mary tyler moore is really and thank you rona barrett for doing all those uh insightful questions yeah. So new documentary, Being Mary Tyler Moore, is streaming on Max. Yes. Oh, that's right. We've got to say Max now. I know. Like, did you see the thing about, you know, Peacock is going to cut its name in half? <laughs> <laughs> From Peacock to Cock. Right. I guess when they merge, Max Cock. Or maybe if Paramount goes from Paramount to Mount and then merges with Peacock. <laughs> Mount Cock. Mount, Mount Cock. I like the way you think. 
it's not me it's just me surfing twitter and appropriating everything um gonna take a quick break rupaul's drag race all stars season eight it's on paramount plus in the u.s wow presents plus everywhere else tonight from now on um and also by the way today on uh, paramount plus queen of the universe season two so stream it now all right so we're going to take a quick break uh stay with us because uh, this week for number one we have a winning queen joining us which is very exciting so stay tuned for the big reveal you're listening to world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow Welcome back to the Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake, of course. And uh, we're counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number, let me just check, seven. Number seven. If you know me, you know one of my favorite people in the world, one of my favorite singers, one of my favorite spiritual guides is Fantasia. Fantasia oh. Brito, American Idol. We had the luxury of working with her. Uh, oh my God! In two thousand and nine, how is that possible? On on uh, uh, Fantasia for real on VH1, we have stayed close with her when she's in town. We we all get together, we talk, and she was in town, double billed with uh, her opening act, Joe. And it was just amazing to see her. And and at the same time that um, the color purple uh, trailer has dropped, and I think our Fantasia, who's just one of the most talented people i just i you know i've always wanted to work with her in reality because anything that makes her more famous i'm all for and she is very famous but like this the trailer is amazing she captivates an audience now here's the thing i am um if you can't tell on the radio i'm like a very middle-aged going to elderly white guy from new hampshire and yet i've seen fantasia several times i saw her once at the apollo in uh in harlem uh during her christmas show and she, and i swear to god you know the holy spirit entered that room like i felt like a fog of spirit that she evoked that this crowd went back and forth it's hard to explain and seeing her at the microsoft theater the same thing happens but you know it's so funny because joe was her opening act i'd never heard of joe he has a lot of songs it was fun being i was one of the only people who white people there it was full of beautiful happy joyous you can tell a lot about an artist by their audience and people were having the best time of their life and they were doing something i've never really seen before and i guess i'm just don't get out much but instead of videotaping the artist they're videotaping themselves looking good singing the songs it was just <laughs> joyous i'm just telling you, i was just like and, and raptor by i know all fantasia's music i follow her but you know it's people singing along her doing a tina turner tribute i mean it's well, just... I, I was just gonna say very quickly that i remember when she headlined la pride uh yes. a few years ago and we were backstage watching and seeing her perform it felt like the spirit of Tina Turner. It felt like you were watching Tina Turner in the 60s. That that just the way she just puts everything in every single moment and she's just giving it 110%. It's just, it's fantastic. She reminds me of a young Tina Turner and to see yeah. that, and she has, the crowd reacts to her in the same way as well. It's fantastic. Yes. And yet she's, I, I can't wait to see what Color Purple does, you know, I hope mm -hmm. it, it it represents her. I think there's an Academy Award in the you know Tui Tui don't want to jinx it for you know in the in the in, in the works for for Fantasia. Boy, does she deserve it? 
you wouldn't jinx it. You gotta you gotta name it now because then you can be like, I remember when I said there was an Academy Award. Because I'm with you. I think like I haven't even seen it yet, but you just know it's going to be beyond incredible. I saw her performing on stage, and she was just remarkable. Yeah. Didn't Allie Willis write the songs for? Yes. Yes. So it's amazing. And there was a little reception afterwards. She didn't know anyone was coming. Her manager didn't tell her. And it was just, she looks amazing. She's so humble. She, she leaned into me because, you know, we knew her a long time ago. And she's, and I said, you look so beautiful, look so happy. She's been in a 10-year loving relationship with her oh. husband, um, Kendall. And I was just like, she's like, you know what the difference is? She goes, I'm all grown up. And I just loved her. I just hugged her and I loved her so much. So she's still touring. So look for Fantasia. But uh, I can't wait for Christmas Day. That's, you know, where I'll be on Christmas Day. Mm. Mm. All right. Number six, James. Number six. Texas just passed a a new sexual conduct bill that is really sort of interesting. And I want to talk about it. Um, It expands what is considered illegal public performance of sexual conduct. Okay. And it puts in a broader effect. Um, in te- it, it allows Texas to crack down on drag uh, performances and LGBTQ um, uh, performances as well. It bans real or simulated groping or simulated arousal uh, a- a- and displays of sexuality in pub- on public property. Now, it also, and this is the, the kicker here, it also bars wearing accessories or prosthetics that enhance the female or male form in, uh, in front of a minor or on public property. That's every drag queen. You cannot wear tits anymore. You cannot, drag kings cannot have bulges in their pants anymore. Or you face up to a year in jail. And the businesses hosting these performances are fined $10,000 for each violation. This is already passed. The bill also um, could ensnare suggestive rock performances, cheerleading um, just sort of, and it, and it also goes far enough that it can um, even uh, behavior in public, private homes can be affected as well. It's one of the most draconian bills that have passed. What about that. the strip clubs that all these politicians that drafted this go to, and all the fake boobs in, inside of the bodies? Are it's, those? It, it's you know, it, when you know though how many politicians are ensnared in, you know, are, are on grinder are, you know, these anti gay I mean, like they don't care. They, it, it's, it's not, it's rules for thee and not for me or rules from the, whatever the, the phrase is. Yeah. It's it, this one is a really weird one. And I wonder if other people are going to start um, listening to Texas and, you know, can Kentucky will follow suit in Florida. It's um it's a, you know, that no prosthetics, that enhance the female or male form. What Even so, if you're, like, just to, to clarify, I mean, it's ridiculous, but just to clarify, if you're a female and you also enhance the female form prosthetically, are you, is that, can well, you? Pros- yeah, it's, it's it bars wearing accessories or prosthetics that enhance the female or male form. It doesn't say that you have to be the opposite sex. It's just if you are wearing prosthetics that in, uh, or an accessory. But it's, when you think of Jimbo is no longer going to be welcome in the state of Texas anymore or any, you know, any rubber boobs. If this outrages you and you want to do something, a little something, you can go to the, U, the ACLU Drag Defense Fund, which we're a little part of to help, you know, to, and we're raising money. We've raised 
you know, we've helped to raise, and again, it's a lot of other, a lot of other parties and people involved, over $1.4 million. And you can still go to the U, the ACLU Drag Defense Fund and give a dollar, give $2, do something, because, yeah. you know, we've got to fight this in the courts and they have to, you know, defend and ensure our rights. And I can't help thinking that some of this legislation is written by just not written very carefully or thoughtfully um right so that it's you know, they had the same problem with the the tennessee uh drag law it was like so confusingly written so that, not that written not, by it's not going to stand up if it goes to the supreme court is what you're saying well i'm not it's just, i suppose what i really want to say is sort of written by morons i suppose which well, but I have but, a feeling but, it's deliberately written vaguely so that it can it, it I can suppose, cover yeah. as much as ground is they as whoever wants to use it can interpret use it, it right yeah, yeah. yeah i i just i do honestly find it really perplexing in some respects like wh- where this is coming from why this is seen as a a winning argument is why yeah. this is seen as yeah. I have a feeling that there's one or two, you know, outraged mothers somewhere, and they are thinking it's like the million million moms or whatever that it's really like twenty people, but you know, mm, it's, so. it's what it's the tallest poppy syndrome. It's 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 a bright shiny thing that they can knock down. Yeah, you know, it's, mm. it's easy. It doesn't take thought and intellectual, you know, prowess. It's just like get rid of that. Terrible. All right. Well, we're going to move on to number five. Number five. Something I know everyone has been waiting for is the final succession, um, the the final episode, the final countdown, the final reveal, the final. I think I'm angry at succession. I think I'm angry at succession, like when someone breaks up with me. I'm like, okay. Oh, well, I had something to say about that because I felt after watching it, a profound depression. And I realized I have been addicted to this show for all these years, all these seasons. And I feel as brilliant as it is that it has been a kind of toxic relationship. And I (laughs) felt absolutely sort of just that, you know, that sort of shame of like waking well, up with a no hell of a hangover and having done things you shouldn't have done and feeling there, just. There, but there, there was no crushed. redemption of any of the characters in the end. They all ended up exactly where they should have ended up because they're all horrible people. You know, I, I do want to just say that two of my favorite lines in the entire episode, though, were Stewie Kiss's boys on Molly, which just had, had threw me on the floor. I loved that. And the other was when Willa said, I have a play reading in six to eight months. I have a table reading. And now she wanted, she gutted the apartment and put the, putting the cow couch in, the cow print couch. Um, (laughs) My favorite scene though, that I I wanted to talk a little bit about though, was because um, the meal fit for a king scene in the kitchen, which a lot of people interpreted as, sort of the calm before the storm because as you were watching it you knew that they were giggling and laughing but things were about to go shit was about to go down and it was sort of the tick tick before the boom but to me it meant that no matter what these characters no matter how bad things get in the middle of the night they can always steal away to the kitchen and tell private little jokes and they're always going to be connected and they're always going to be able to break 
into giggles with each other. They are they are connected in a way that nobody else will ever understand. And I've had the, I have that relationship with my siblings too. We can argue and scream and shout, and then ten minutes later we're in the kitchen, you know, e- eating you know cheesecake and laughing. I had it with Michael Alig. Some people you just have those things where like you can just take you can just stop everything and break into a laugh. And that's what I loved about that scene so much. But that scene, I would say, James, was the only such scene in the entire series, all the seasons where they actually felt some joy with each other. It was the only one. There was no other scene. Well, there was that great them. scene where they were making fun of um, Kendall and saying how they would murder him. And they were, remember, yeah, just right but, before that. You yeah. know, um, I do think that, they're, that they are profoundly connected in a way that no one else will ever understand what these billionaire children have gone through, you know? Tom? I, uh, I thought it ended just as it should. You know, people, I don't, are people angry at Shiv or Shiv, Shiv, was it? Shiv becomes her mother is what happens. Shiv ends up as her mother. She's the power behind, you know, she's married to a man. She has the child that she's not going to get along with. Yes. Yeah. And and, and she sort of ends up on the side of power. She always is. Yeah, she is power behind the throne, behind behind both Matson and, because Matson's going to fuck her at some point. But that's what I haven't seen. That's what I hadn't sort of read or seen. Everyone sort of felt that well, no one wins, but actually, she is the winner. She yeah, actually yeah. wins because it's her. It's their baby. So well, the, also, but you know, Roman wins too because Roman never wanted it. He really didn't, and he's glad to be out. He is a rich trust fund boy. He doesn't get Jerry, which I think kills him. But he's he he's free of his father's legacy. He doesn't have to live up to being his father because hmm. he couldn't do it. He he could not hmm. do it. Every time he 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 whiffles on every time he gets to bat, you know. But it is a weird stakes free with all the stakes. There were no stakes. Yeah, you know I'm saying like because they're still rich, they'll, they'll think of the new scheme tomorrow. And didn't they buy? From Cherry Jones. They did, they, yes. Didn't they buy a whole other, like, media conglomerate? They did, but they just didn't get mentioned. Because, you know, it's like buying a handbag. It's like, oh, yeah, we got that somewhere. <laughs> I just don't feel this can be the end. There has to be, maybe in a few years. You know? I think it's good to give it a rest. I think it's good to give it a rest. Because yeah. it was getting a little repetitive and a little redundant. So it'll be yes. interesting to to re 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 uh to clear the chessboard if you will and of course greg will always be tom's little bitch that we, we saw in the bathroom that that relationship and gonna get and get any better um i also i don't know if you remember this i this was re, um pointed out that in the first episode roman is married with kids i don't know if you remember that at the airport scene, he's with his wife and child, and they never mentioned it again. Oh. You'll have to go back and watch the the pilot episode. Oh. Interesting. Well, that is Succession uh, streaming on Max, if you haven't seen it. Um, Drag Race Mexico with hosts Valentina and Lolita Banana premieres June 22nd worldwide, excluding Mexico, on War Presents Plus. And it's on Paramount Plus in Mexico and MTV Latin America. So um, this one is amazing, too. And there's a lot of excitement around it. And, um, yeah, we'll just take a break and we'll be right back after the break. 
You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake, of course. And we're counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. And we've reached number four. Number four. Um, I wasn't here last week when you guys got to memorialize Tina Turner. Um, I just want to talk about some of my faves. And, and you know, there is a, on Sirius XM, there's a Tina Turner network now and they're going with deep cuts. But I have to, it's like the soul, usually it's soul. It's like 50, it's before Studio 54. So I don't know, it's in the late 40s. But um, there was in 1985, there, you know, the Tina Turner album came out because, you know, Private Dancer is just one of the best albums and its history is, you know, it was made like in two weeks or something. It was like this, this, this last gasp at a career for Tina Turner and they took her to Europe and they, you know, they found all these songs and, you know, what's love got to do with it? Private Dancer. Um, but she also, and, and then there was this concert that uh, I'd never seen before. It, it was shot. I was on HBO. I taped it. I watched it like I watch YouTube now because it had cameras from the back. Like, uh, like what would do drone shots now? They must have had cameras on wires. They just oh, flew over the one, the, the one in Brazil, right? The, I can't think the what, largest. I it was. And she, oh. that's when she had that big armed uh, saxophone player. And she just looked, and she was in a denim jacket, you know, a leather skirt. No, she's dressed like from H&M. She's wearing not and that hair and and all of it is exquisite. But there is a moment. It's a strange moment. I'm sure it's just role playing for me. It's like it's like porn where you can imagine yourself as one of the one of the participants. But it's Brian Adams. And Tina Turner, who did a duet called It's Only Love, and it's this rock ballad. And she's like, ah, here's someone I've done a duet with. And he's from Canada. He's welcome. Adams. And he comes out, with his pockmarked face. He's so fucking hot. This is before his Robin Hood. This is before his Robin Hood music. When it was like summer of 69. Oh. And he comes out, stand face to face. And he, and they scream at him. They scream, sing at each other. And the words just matter. Nothing else matters. It ain't over, baby, because it's only, <laughs> and that's all. And then Tina, like, will grab his mic because he's playing guitar and lean it toward him. Like, she grabs his dick and, like, puts it in his mouth. And then, and then, and then she, what? um, what you're gonna see? It's only love, Tina Turner. And in the meantime, they have 19 cameras. So you're seeing everything from every angle in the. <laughs> the finch comes from the back of the thing. And at one point, they, they, the whole song goes, bunk, bunk. And they stop staring at each other. And before the music starts, Tina goes, right, like inches, inches from Brian's mind. Wow! And I'm like, oh my, I I have. (laughs) I have never heard anyone get excited about the Tina Turner, Brian. (laughs) I'm telling you. We watch this music video all the time in my house for after hours. So thank you. That is hysterical. You guys are so obscure, so I, random. You've got to see it. And again, as a as a as a white guy with you know some 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 skin blemishes, it, it I I am Brian Adams, and Tina Turner is screaming in my face. So that's my but, memory. But I don't think anyone ever thought that Brian Adams was hot. I don't. I think you're the only person on the planet. <laughs> Tina Turner and I were into him in 1985. <laughs> You've actually just reminded I have a Tina Turner story. Because, you know, sometimes when people die and they're posting on social media all their pictures of them with Tina Turner, I was like, yeah. I don't have a picture of Tina Turner. 
But maybe better than that, Randy and I dressed up as Tina Turner and performed Proud Mary. <laughs> Where's the tape? Where's the tape? Where's the tape? Oh, it is out there no. somewhere. Nelson taped it. And um, yeah, me and Randy <laughs> and Tish and Snooky, there were four Proud Marys. <laughs> and yeah. We I have also think. been watching old um, Nelson videos during After Hours, you guys. So oh it's been really interesting to see James with long hair, just like you and Michael Musto reenacting like old movies from the 50s <laughs> on camera. Yes. yes and the yes, pop part, part performing at, and Gabe Rotello introducing you. It's really fun. Wow. Right. Yeah. My favorite, I, I maybe Tom, you can remind me. My favorite um Tina Turner video is the one where it's all the hot guys and she's in a giant red shoe. Typical male. Typical all male. I want is a little reaction. <laughs> yes, that, that's my favorite. Typical male. Oh, and we don't need another hero. And and I can't stand the rain. I can't and, stand and, the rain. And better be good to me. I love going. Better Be Good to Me. That's one of my oh. favorites. But my favorite is the Al Green, Let Mercedes Sands. That was her comeback. Baby. That was the beginning of the comeback right there. That's what got the album. Yeah, that's um, that was huge at the gay discos when I first started going out. Loving you forever. Sorry. All right. Number three. Rest, well, rest in perfection. Rest in perfection, Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you can ever say enough about her, really. That is an epic, epic story. And an icon for the ages, you know? Um, number three. Number three. There's so many, like, real-life succession things to talk about this week, but I'm not going to talk about any of them other than just one thing, and I really want your yeah. opinion on it, too. So it was Cannes Movie Festival, right? The film festival. Oh, God, Always yeah. seen as the epicenter of glamour. And I guess the new Logan Roy is David Zaslav, who, you know, is head of Warner Brothers and Discovery. Destroying media from within. He is one of those terrifying characters that since Logan Roy. Yes. Right. Who I hope is not listening to the show because of what follows. But (laughs) he joined up with Graydon Carter, who, let's face it, has been as the editor of Spy and then of Vanity Fair, has been one of the great social architects of the time since Tina Brown. You know, he's the he he puts people together at parties and he's the guy. New airmail, which is which I get yeah. every week. Yeah. Oh you do, right. Yeah. Um I didn't know he's best friends with David Zaslav. And David Zaslav thought for some reason that it would be a good time to have a knock em dead blowout massive Uber party at the Hotel de Cap Eden Rock. Not since the to 1970s has anything been so decadent and filled with AAA star power. It has been the bring out the jewels, bring out the big hairdos, bring out the tinas, <laughs> the, you know, make it as vulgar and as crazy. And when I tell you that I read this article that you sent to us, same article, yes, this party. And it is every A-lister. It is Leonardo DiCaprio with his latest girlfriend seated next to, you know, Selma Hayek and her husband, the billionaire. Da, da, da. 
and everybody's at these power tables and it gives you the listing of who's who, whose power is where about and how they can all be relieved because they're in the right place they they're they're the right place, yes. and even people that and i'm sorry people that i used to look up to this i'm not even going to mention her name but there was someone that i always thought was fabulous but just the fact that she was at this party makes her just icky and gross because everything about this party is just vulgar and icky well, and gross and but wait a minute. And the thing is, I can say that, but I don't think either of you can say that because I will never be triple A at David Zaslov's party seated next to Graydon Carter. But theoretically, the, you two could end ah! up at one of these tables someday soon. Certainly so not think- after this week's show. I mean, here's the thing <laughs> you know, like David Zaslav, bless him, is paid $246 million a year. And Number one. Number two, he is trying to cut two billion from the bottom line of this massive media entity, which includes not releasing movies that have been written, filmed, and shot. Um that girl and debacle. He, and he is asked about the writers' strike by this reporter, and he says, Oh, um, what does he say? He says, um, oh, some of my best friends are writers. Um, it's really painful. And it's just the sort of, of you need to read the room. He's thinking Tom Wolf is his best, you know, Fran Leibowitz is his writer best friend. He's not friends with the writers in the writer room for, you know, Goldbergs. (laughs) I sometimes wonder if he, if he's the poster boy for this era, because, and I want to defend him a little bit because streaming is out of control. They spent too much money. It was yeah. a bad investment. It was, it, was, it was like an arms race that went bad. Right. And so he, but Disney's doing the same thing in a different way. So, but, but I have to say, so, so part of me wants to defend him and say, oh, he gets the, the brunt of the thing. But, he, but, but he is the optics for- of this, let me finish. The optics of this are undeniably horrible. This, but right. It, it is it so Marine Antoinette. It is so, it, it is right before the, they put the, everybody in the guillotine. It really is. So yeah. I mean, it, it just felt like an episode of Succession. As I was reading Absolutely. the article, I thought, this is like Succession because it's so wrong. The optics are so awful. So we've and, got prediction going again. And so now we're going to, you it, know. That it happens during the writer's strike when right. we're, they're trying to, you know, replace writers they aren't you know they aren't paying netflix writers but they're giving the netflix head you know 200 million dollars and it just everything about it is but i i I throw just two things that he said because i and part of me empathizes in a way that you can't throw a a big party at can at the hotel de cap eden rock serving don perignon in this present moment and get away with it but he did say he said um about the guest list, he said, oh, it's our best friends. It's our real friends, you know, no assholes. Ah! <laughs> How could that even be? Number one. and then, Number, number one, when three. they're all assholes. I'm sorry. Every single one of those person is just more disgusting than the last. I know. And that's sort of what's so funny. And that's why it's like succession, because it's so absurd. It's, so it's almost self-aware. They it's almost no... comedic. And the big takeaway from the article... <laughs> For me, is that Graydon Carter will now be redesigning the commissary of Warner Brothers um, because apparently it looks like a fucking Marriott, and he's going to. I love that. That's the problem in Hollywood right now. That is the biggest problem in Hollywood right now is the commissary at Warner Brothers, (laughs) and it needs a little classing up, is what it needs. 
Yes. Okay. Let's change the subject. We'll post the link on the wire report so you can read it for yourself, but it is a kind of genius piece of writing. Yeah. Read it for yourself and see what you think. All right. Uh, Number two, Tom. Number two. Rest in peace, George Maharis. I I knew his name. Uh, He was on route. No, he's on route 66, which was a huge show before I was born. that I've never seen that was like epic and very like golden age television, in the early sixties. Um, he left controversially that mid third season because supposedly he had hepatitis and it was, it was a show that went on the road. So they went from place to place to place. Um, I know him because he was the first celebrity to pose naked in Playgirl. And I only realized while reading his obituary, he died at 93, that he was gorgeous. And you can see just a little tiny sliver of his Venus, if you go online, um, uh, um, um, he was a gay, and so you wonder what the hepatitis was from too. And I and and the idea was that when he left Route sixty six, they ruined him because they were saying that he had sort of kept his his lifestyle to himself, and they and it was somehow outed, and he was kind of never mainstream Hollywood again. He made a few movies. Yes, he was blacklisted, pinklisted. So I, I, you know, and we live with celebrities showing off their butts. We live with only fans. I just think how forward, how fabulous that George Maharis, who joined, ended up being joined by Jim Brown, who we lost recently, who was also naked in Playgirl. Lau Wagner, who was naked. Yes, I just, I just want to, you know, Joni. Yes, I didn't realize until now that Joe, that George Maharis was one of us. He's a beautiful man. Google him, you know, do what I do with my Google, George Maharis nude, and then just, just enjoy, just enjoy. Go from there. Yeah, go from there. Rest in power. No, rest in perfection. Rest in penis. <laughs> you like We're going to take one more break, and when we come back, reveal the number one thing that made us go, wow, this week. Very rest excited. In perver- rest in perversion. There you go. Shame <laughs> me. Very excited to reveal the number one thing this week that made us go, wow, one of the most legendary queens of RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and James and Tom, of course. And very, very excited. A little bit. I'm fangirling a little, a lot. Um, to reveal the number one thing this week that makes us go wow. Not just this week, but every week, every day, every year, ever since she was she won, snatched the crown on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 9. It is my honor to welcome to the show for the first time, and hopefully not last, Sasha Valore. Number one. Yay! Hello! Thank you for having me. What an illustrious group of bald people. I'm sorry I left my glasses in the other room. <laughs> and we're very excited to have you here because of The Big Reveal, which is your, this is your first book, right? My first book. Mm-hmm. Fenton, and thank you for fantastic. marking it up. I, I see you've been reading it actively. Oh, yes. It's so I have nice. Yes. I'm honored. It's, it's really, it's, I had so much fun with it. I just, the for the audience out there listening, you do such an amazing job of weaving your personal history with the history of drag with 
contemporary drag scene. You weave it all together really, really beautifully. I enjoyed every second of it. Oh, thank you. Wow. Put that on the book if we get a second reprint. <laughs> thank you. Verbomatic here. Exactly. No, I, I learned from you all how to combine the funny bits with the serious things and try to advance the message about drag being part of world culture for everyone. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I know I've said this many times, but thank you for opening the door to let me even create a project like this and pitch it and put it out into the world. I hope it will change, change some things or make it oh make God. a small ripple. The, the, the whole book is fantastic. The first chapter, especially though, with the kind of history of drag, really going back to its sort of ancient, ancient roots. You're, it's so great to read something where it's like, no, drag was not invented the other day. It has been here for thousands of years. It is a part of our DNA, like as opposed to this thing right now that is everyone's like, you know, all the protesting and, and all that nonsense. That's right. As long as people have had stages, we've had drag on it. It's just something people naturally do. And I think the crisis around it is so manufactured. And just seeing the facts laid bare to me, illuminates that and makes it all look ridiculous. But some people don't want to listen, is what I've found. Why do you think that now, after thousands of years, that all of a sudden, at this flashpoint in history, like, why has why is there the backlash? Don't you think it's because of your great success? I feel like the, the path <laughs> that Drag Race and World of Wonder has done, it's opened up this conversation in small towns and among families and people are talking mm -hmm. about drag they're talking about queer and trans people being normal and that is shocking the people who don't want to see any progress happen i feel like it's the public opinion has already changed people are already on the side of queer and trans liberation and that we can't go back from that but that's scared this small vocal minority right this is that sort of last pushback before the 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 wave breaks, you know. I mean, there's yeah. examples of it throughout history, and the pendulum does swing. You know, even when we're making progress, the pendulum swings. And you know, it, it sounds superficial, but the idea of disco, disco sucks. That was sort of a pushing down. There's a lot of gay liberation in the '70s and before AIDS and all that, and it was really pervasive. I was looking at the on my Facebook or something. It's like the Billboard charts, 1979. You're like, oh my god, it's the Village People. It's the gayest things on earth. <laughs> And then everybody sort of pushed it away, but you know you can't you can't keep it down. You know, dance music exists and changes, and queer culture is incredibly adaptive and 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 moving on from where everyone's trying to tack us down and beat us down. So I, you know, God bless us for all of our weirdness. I love what Rue says. You know, it's like they think our we our joy and our sissiness and all of our stuff is weakness, but it's it is our strength. You know, it's 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 what makes us malleable and 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 live through it anyway. No, no preaching. Absolutely. Uh, Sasha, I have to ask, I know this is ancient history to you, but you set a new bar. I just have to talk about your most famous moment on Drag Race, which is when you broke you know, so emotional, and the rose petals came down. Did someone, a big reveal. It was a big reveal. Does someone other than me bring that up every day to you? Do you is that haunting you? Is that, how do you, how do you sort of uh, place that, that moment in her street? Oh my gosh, a hit's a hit. I'm I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> um, of course it haunts me and it's a blessing too. I feel yeah. like, yeah, I had to call the book The Big Reveal. It is what I'm most known for. I'm yeah. glad I get to be known for something other than my obsession with history and being such a nerd and 
<laughs> you know, my accidentally pretentious way of talking and just trying to pay homage <laughs> to this thing I love so much. But yeah, I can put on a show too and rip my wig off. I um, have a feeling that your tombstone is going to be littered with rose petals throughout, <laughs> throughout all of eternity. Just know that when you die, that's going to be the thing that, that they come people sprinkle on your grave. <laughs> I'll take it. It was such a delicious detail when you're describing that moment and you talk about, well, I'm shaking anyway. So if I like, <laughs> it was like, just lovely. Oh, I love that. Can I ask you though, a question like before your drag self, I suppose, um, you were a Fulbright scholar in Moscow? Yes. A different life. <laughs> tell, tell all. Well, um, I have this, I, I learned Russian because of my family background. My dad learned Russian to be able to speak to his grandmother. And so we have this like family tradition of, of learning this language. Um, if, if you ever do Drag Race Russia, by the way, you know, call your girl. <laughs> I know there's queer people everywhere. Um, but I was so interested to go and, and learn. And I was, I wanted to secretly study gay activism in Russia because I was really interested mm. to see what was happening there but you have to get the project approved by the Russian government. So I pitched it as art in public. Um, and I did look at some galleries and free art museums and stuff, but I, I was so interested in the activism and the organization that was happening in the gay movement there. And I was really shocked how divided it was. People organizing small parties who did not want pride, people really hoping for visible queer expression and pride. And they were like actively infighting with each other. And I thought that was so interesting and made me reflect on, divisions that we have in gay activism we're not always aligned with what the next step needs to be um so i thought i thought that was really interesting and it, all of it made me want to dress up in drag and be part of being loud and being visible and being as gay and sissy and proud as possible when i got back home and also I, russian women are over the top and wear stilettos and pantyhose <laughs> every day and it got me kind of my 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 nails a clicking as it were <laughs> I, I think we've talked before about how my fantasy is just to take two months, two or three months at the Hermitage and just <laughs> not, not leave, just sleep there. Did you get to spend a lot of time doing uh, Russian art and the, the yes. Hermitage and stuff? Yeah. Okay, well, you you know about how I worked as a security oh, guard. You were noted there or something, <laughs> weren't you? Well, I was just an emergency translator in the lobby, but they because that they made me also tell people to take water out of their pockets in every language. So, <laughs> so that was my security guard means telling them to put their coats away and telling people where the bathroom was. I learned how to say that in five languages too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got to wander the museum for free and it was uh, the God, most amazing experience. Absolute heaven. Yeah, I'll, let's go. I'll <laughs> In a few yeah, years, when it's yeah. safe again. Yeah, have you been back since? What do you and what do you think no. is the sort of outlook there? Like, because presumably there is a, a strong drag tradition there. Yeah, and of course, drag queens, I, I imagine, are really against Putin and against the system, so they have to be quiet and hide in this time. I think people are trying to get out and and find other places to go to survive this oppressive regime. But there's always going to be drag in Russia, I believe. So I think we Sasha, can Sasha, in addition to your book, if people want to see you, are you performing? Where can we where can we see you? Online, in person? Wherever? Yes. I have my monthly show nightgowns in New York City. We are doing a residence at La Poisson Rouge in the village Wonderful. and have special guests every month. 
and my I'm touring again with my new show inspired by the book called The Big Reveal. But I'm taking it on the road and going to Europe and hopefully even further abroad. But it was great. Yeah. I'll go to Europe then. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you like, we'll post the dates on the on the well report with the um, with the piece. So what's um what's next in your because you are a world dominating queen. You know, you are sort of you. you have huge fans in Germany, uh, South America, Mexico. You are sort of truly an international sensation. Thank you for saying that. Oh my goodness, I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> No, it's, I'm still, I still feel like I have a lot that I can do and a lot I can show. I, I want to develop more drag theater pieces, more reveals, bigger, better, more roses, whole gardens. Another book, <laughs> if you have another book that you can start working on right now, do you have a, any idea? Next book, I'm done with history. It's all fiction and fantasy from here on. I think we need Ooh. like a drag murder mystery series oh. with a detective, a crew of detectives. Well, you did a wonderful job of describing your anal fissures. I'm wondering if maybe you could do some, do some sort of medical help for drag queens. Medical procedural. It's going to be a really intense gallery show about that same theme, James. I'll walk you through personally. It'll be just like the Hermitage. <laughs> Don't give up on the history. I didn't, I mean, I've heard about the Burdash. Is that where you say Burdash or is it Burdash? Oh, Burdache. I, I don't know either. I had no idea, speaking of anal fish, no idea it means bottom. Yes. It's that, slang for bottom. Isn't that cheeky? <laughs> and that two-spirit was used to replace that because it was deemed offensive, which I also didn't know. I thought that was like some ancient term, but it's just, and, it's from the 90s. And now two-spirit, I believe, is being, re- what is two-spirit being replaced by? Because there's some controversy around that too. Oh, interesting. See, yeah, language keeps changing. Yeah. I'm not even up on it. Completely. Exactly. Language itself is a kind of drag, right? Um, <laughs> Always getting a makeover. Padam, padam. Padam, padam. Not just the Edith Piaf song anymore. Right? <laughs> Sasha, thank you so much for joining us. It thank is you so like, much. It, you know, it's a real thrill. And congratulations on everything. And the Big Reveal is out now wherever fine books are sold. Did you do the audiobook too? I did, audio? of course. Yeah. I had so much fun. <laughs> um, and don't give up on the history. We want more. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, well, let's talk. <laughs> Thanks. Have me back anytime. Lovely seeing you all. Love Best you of so luck. Much. Congrats Yay. on Screen Age. Congrats on everything. Wow. Much love thank to you. you. Love you. My granddaughter. Bye, My little bald granddaughter. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> Thanks to everyone for tuning in to the Wow Report on Radio Andy Sirius XM. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Um, same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow.